a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Menopause and Cancer podcast, where we speak with cancer patients, survivors, medical professionals to help us find solutions to our symptoms and ideas to improve our health. My name is Danny Binnington and today we're discussing why gut health matters after cancer. Everyone seems to be talking about gut health, but I want to understand the role of when you are in menopause, specifically after a cancer diagnosis. How do I know I have a healthy gut? Does gut health affect my bones, my sleep, my anxiety, my everything? And are probiotics the answer? And if so, when? From a recent poll in our Facebook group, I know that 30% of you take a probiotic supplement already, and another 30% really want to know a little bit more to make an informed decision. And so today's guest will help you understand the facts so that you can make the right choice for you. I'm really delighted to welcome Joe Lyle onto the podcast today. Joe is a nutritional therapist with an incredible 360 degree view on female health. I also love her portfolio career. She's co-founder of The Better Menopause, who launched a probiotic specifically for the menopause. She's a font of knowledge. I can't wait to pick her brain. I hope you've got pen and paper ready and I see you in the show. Hi, Joe. Good morning. Hi, good morning. I'm excited to be here. I wanted to record a gut health episode for a long time and I'm especially excited because we're really going to look at our gut health from a very holistic 360 degree uh, compassionate view and you're perfect to have this conversation with me. Before we get into it, can you tell me a little bit more about your own perimenopause journey because you had some unusual symptoms that I find quite interesting. <laughs> I did, yeah. Well, I'm really excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me on. Um, I I started experiencing really weird symptoms from the time I turned 41. I, I almost felt like it was exactly after I turned 41. I thought, oh, maybe this is it. Everything just starts going downhill and you just feel tireder and tireder from here on. And the first kind of weird symptom I had was this tingling down, particularly down my right arm and in my hand. It was like pins and needles all the time. So I would often wake up with it in the morning, but then I would also get it throughout the day. I went to physios and, and I thought it was like a neck problem or something like that, but actually it, it just didn't go away. And I just found that really, really odd. And I didn't know until much later on that actually that can be a sign of the change that's going on with your hormones. Yeah, and I, I really wanted to um, hone in on that a little bit because when that happens to someone uh, who is perhaps listening to the podcast who've ha who's had a cancer diagnosis, it can be really worrying. If you don't know what's going on, if you've got new symptoms, if suddenly you're waking up with tingling fingers and numb hands, that can be really upsetting. And our huge worry about the fear of recurrence, of course, we can't just put that aside. And so I think it's helpful to know that all these weird symptoms can happen to a person not affected by cancer and in menopause as well. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when you, when you do get strange symptoms like that, your natural reaction is to worry um, and to think, where's this coming from? Is there something wrong with my brain? Is there something wrong with my nerves? All of that. And actually, I think what's really interesting about the perimenopause phase is that it, it's a combination actually of symptoms that really then tells you that you're in perimenopause specifically. It's not kind of singular symptoms. So with anything like that, I think it's always worth getting it checked out just to rule anything else out. But chances are it could be linked to kind of what's going on with your hormones. And how did you know? I didn't really at the time, actually. It wasn't until um, probably another eight, like eight, eight, nine months down the track when I started to have other symptoms. I'd, I'd realized actually I was having other symptoms. And then I think I watched the Davina documentary and I was watching it and I cried. And I just thought, OK, I think maybe this is maybe what, what's going on to me because it was just lots of things kind of adding up. It was the achiness, achy joints not being able to run anymore, not having as much energy as I was used to having, feeling really anxious, which wasn't a feeling that I'd ever experienced like that before. 
um, weight gain, um, like all sorts of things. And actually, it was those things together that made me think, okay, I think something interesting is happening here. And then when I spoke to a, a menopause specialist GP, she said, actually, that is, a, that is a symptom. And I hadn't realized it at the time. So it was a kind of education for me as well. And I think many of the women in our community watched the Davina McCall documentary. And for those of you listening, you might remember. And for many people, they walked away feeling actually quite left out of the conversation because rightly so, it focused on hormone replacement therapy and how underused this really valid treatment is for many women. But so many women listening to our conversation today, they would have been told hormone replacement therapy isn't an option, it's a contraindication. And that's why I think what you have gone on is really exciting and why we want to talk about gut health. So Joe, you were a nutritionist, but you felt you couldn't serve enough women in your community with your one-to-one consultations. And so you've decided to launch a probiotic company, which I think is amazing. I love a woman with a portfolio career. You're such a bright woman. You're sharing your own story. Uh, I think that's incredible. Why, as a nutritionist, have you decided to come up with a supplement that supports gut health? Because as a nutritionist, you could have focused on like the glucose goddess on, I don't know, lowering our glucose spikes, or there's so many other elements you could have honed in on. How how did that happen? So I think it, it's not exclusively gut health, but it's gut health first, right? So if if your gut is functioning really well, then anything else you do on top of that is going to be more effective. And that's why we decided to start with, with gut health and then specifically a probiotic. So one of the most effective and um, probably fast ways of really changing the the microbiome is to introduce good bacteria or beneficial bacteria. And yes, you can do it through food, you can do it through through diet. But I also believe that actually after years of potentially damaging your gut with high inflammation, whether that's through like medical intervention or just through life itself with stress and the toxins that we absorb every day, your gut is going to be left in maybe not the best state by the time that you're potentially in, in your 40s, let's say. And what we see with a lot of women um, in, in that phase of life is that there's really high levels of inflammation in the gut. And when you've got high levels of inflammation, that's going to affect all sorts of things. It's going to affect your blood sugar control. It's going to affect your ability to absorb and digest vitamins, really important vitamins that help things like bone density, for example. Um, and it creates a kind of general feeling of, of tiredness and achiness around the body. So if you can control and reduce inflammation, you can maybe not experience many of the symptoms that are associated with it. Okay, I feel like we need to take 25 steps back. I'm loving this conversation already, but I'm thinking back to my own journey and um, gut health wasn't really much on my radar after chemotherapy. Oh, yes, it was. My bowels changed. Um all sorts of bowel changes from loose to constipation. Uh, it really, really changed. And then because I'm a twin mummy, I became aware of Tim Spector's work. And I'm sure people at home listening are very well aware of, of Tim's work as well. And so the gut health and bowels have been really on my radar. And especially because over the last few years, I've had spouts of cellulitis, which is an infection in my lymphedema. And I had to have it treated with antibiotics. I know they saved my life, but having known already what I knew about gut health, I really disliked taking them. I felt disappointed, worried that my gut health won't recover. And so I wonder, anyone listening at home, what they're feeling about their gut health. So before we talk about inflammation, Joe, tell me, what does it mean? How do I know I have a healthy gut before we talk about the worries? Because I know I had so many worries about my gut health, but how do I know I have a healthy gut? I have a quick favor to ask to help the show keep growing. Please click the follow button on your podcast player. It really would mean a lot to me. Thank you. So I think looking, first of all, at your bowels every day is a really important part of that. I know not everybody likes to look down the toilet, but I would highly recommend that, that you do. So looking at, is my stool formed? Is it leaving... Um, a mess over the toilet therefore it's not kind of holding together in a in in the way that we'd want it to can you see food particles in there what color is it these are all kind of great clues first of all on are we digesting and absorbing our food really well 
And do we have enough fiber in our diet as well that creates that kind of bulkier stool? Am I going every day is another kind of key question. And do I get any discomfort? Am I getting wind? Am I getting bloating? Am I getting any indigestion feelings? Any any discomfort after eating is going to tell you that maybe your gut health is not optimal or, or where you want it to be. You can also look at the tongue. So the tongue's a really good kind of map of, of the body. And when you when you look at your tongue, does it have a kind of thick white coating? Does your how does your breath feel when you wake up in the morning? These are all clues as to what's going on inside our body. And um, so there, the, that's the place that I would start every day. And how would you like my poo to look, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> so a nice medium medium brown would be perfect. You don't want to see bits of food in there unless it's sweet corn, which quite often does end up in in the stall or beetroot also ends up in the stall as well. So just being really conscious that if you eat food that's got a very dense color to it, you're more likely to see that that turn up and you don't need to be worried about it. It's just remembering, what did I eat yesterday? Oh yeah, okay, that that's all right. Um, and you want it to be formed. So you want it to have a kind of a good a good structure to it. You don't want it to be sticking all over the toilet. You don't want it to be too loose. Um, you want to sort of feel it passing as well, rather than it sort of flooding out of you like more of a kind of loose stool or a, or a diarrhea. Getting quite detailed here. I hope that's okay. I think that's great because yeah. we're so shy to talk about our bowels and our bowel movements. And and I remember before I really then started to change my diet, I certainly didn't go to the toilet and have with a bowel movement every day. I was two, three days in between, and that was my normal then. You know, growing up in Austria on salami sandwiches and loads of bread, although it's rye bread, it's um, quite a meat-heavy sort of childhood, uh, teenage years, young adulthood I had. And really, I had to put a lot of emphasis into changing my diet to make sure I go every day. Do you think going every day is essential, or is it okay if your normal is every two to three days? I I think the, the best case scenario is you're going every day because that means that you are properly excreting toxins that you don't want in your body. If you're not going to the toilet every day, then potentially, depending on the state of your gut, you could be reabsorbing some of those toxins back into and in, into your body, which you don't want to do. So getting up in the morning, and maybe for some people it might require some movement, first of all, so maybe doing some exercise will encourage that bowel movement, or for others they'll just wake up and go, and, and that's a lot to do with just your body and and you know and what your body's used to as well but making sure that you are kind of getting rid of all those toxins and anything that you don't need um, each day is really important and if you haven't um, been going to the toilet every day for a really long time I would really encourage kind of good look at your your diet and just really checking in on some of the essentials there around and um, fiber hydration are, are you drinking enough and then looking looking at your stool and what does it look like when when it's coming out and questioning lifestyle maybe am i doing exercise and movement because our our bowel does have its own kind of muscles that are kind of contracting and pushing through everything through all the time but exercise really helps with that as well so um moving every morning is super important and you know what? We are uh, running a walking challenge at the moment. It's our first fundraiser for the menopause and cancer um, not-for-profit. And I, without the challenge, I don't think I would have been out there this morning, but I went out there at 4,000 steps. It's not loads, but it really got me, um, just set me up for the day. I had a lovely breakfast and it did get my bowels moving, um, if anyone wants to know <laughs> or not. But it really, I know it's really, really helpful and that's even before I've eaten and it can be a really helpful, helpful trick. So what role does our gut play, Joe? I know so many people talk about gut health and to how to improve it. And there's all these nicks and knacks. But what role does it play for each one of us? So your your gut really is the foundation of your health. So if you, if you think about it, all of the food that you're eating is digested, broken down and absorbed in, in your gut and your gut is then that first port of call for creation of some essential um, neurotransmitters, hormones and um, it's it's feeding every cell in your body. So it's so, so important to, to how we feel every day. And um, I love the fact that serotonin is made in the gut. So serotonin is you know often kind of known as our happy hormone. Um, some of it's also not manufactured in the gut, but 95% of it is which is incredibly um, interesting when you start to then think about mood. 
and anxiety. And okay, well, is there a link then between what's going on in my gut and what's going on in my brain? And the gut-brain connection, the gut-hormone connection is just part of every single system in, in, in our body. And remember, many years ago, the TV program, You Are What You Eat. Yeah. I was thinking about her the other day, actually, Gillian McKeith. That was seen so long ago Yeah, now. it's a yeah. bit overridden. It is, yeah. Isn't yeah. it? It's kind of like you are what you absorb from um, listening to you and listening to so many other experts. I think that that's very true because you can, you know, I think that there are situations where, where you can have what looks like an amazing diet. But if there's a, if there's a problem in, in, in your gut, then maybe you aren't maximizing that. And that, and that can be to do with um, the, the, the microbiome and the, uh, the amount of good bacteria versus the less beneficial bacteria. People can also have overgrowth of um, uh, kind of non-beneficial pathogens in there or candida. Um, it's fairly easy to pick up parasites as well, whether it's you know from your dog or from a holiday. And there's all sorts of things that can kind of go on in the gut that aren't necessarily related to diet as well. And they can then have a negative effect on actually what we absorb. So I think it's a really good uh, kind of change of that quote to say, actually, we are what we absorb because that's actually then what shows up on, on the outside as mm. well. And how do you link the gut health to helping women in perimenopause or menopause? Let's not think so much about our cancer listeners here, but just a normal person. What's the influence? Does the gut change when you're going through perimenopause, menopause? Or does it stay the same? Or what happens there? How do the hormones link to that? You hear so much about hormones and gut health, but how, where is that? How is that link? So look, I think there's there's new insight and science coming out all the time now around what's actually happening in the body when when we go through menopause. And the way that I would think about it is that um, our hormones are chemical messages. So they are communicating with every part of our body to set off other other reactions. Estrogen is a really important hormone in, in all of that messaging that, that goes on in, in our body. And a lot of that starts in the gut. So the, the gut does the absorption, the digestion, and then sets off this cascade of uh, communication and information going through the body. It plays a really important role in the way that we break down used hormones. So once, once that hormone has kind of done its job, what we don't want is it, it recirculating because then this can create a kind of estrogen dominant situation. Um, and then that can show up in a whole set of symptoms um, like weight gain or tiredness and anxiety and all sorts of things like that. But um, in, in general, your gut is playing this important role in uh, how we digest and extract the essential nutrients from, from our food to improve things like bone health, which is a big consideration when you go into, into menopause. So are we absorbing, breaking down calcium, K2, magnesium properly? properly? Um, it's also uh, really regulating our, our kind of bloating. So a lot of women will say, I'm suddenly really bloated. And I, and I don't know why. And that's been a change. So is that because of what's going on with our hormones? Probably. Um, and can good gut health fix that? Absolutely. So if you improve your if you improve your microbiome, if you improve that kind of presence of beneficial bacteria, the bloating can go away. That's not a symptom anyone needs to live with, in, in my opinion, but so many women do. And they, and they don't necessarily talk about it either. They just feel uncomfortable every day. They feel uncomfortable in their clothes. And maybe they're then suffering with some wind on top of that as well, which can be embarrassing. And people don't want, want to have that. And that those are kind of two symptoms I don't think anyone really needs to live with if you can just get your gut health to be a little bit more optimized. That's so reassuring to know, because especially for someone who's put into menopause early because of maybe um, our listeners, they've been put on um, endocrine treatments for five or 10 years. And many women say, gosh, I really feel um, my bowels have changed. But it's not really one of those very recognized symptoms like hot flushes or, you know, it's a bit more like the tingling in your hands and fingers you've um, described. Or I had a burning tongue, burning mouth as a syndrome. I had no idea that was part of the you know, menopause symptoms. And for me, that happened after my surgically onset menopause. So women often don't know if it is connected. They've had so many drugs, chemotherapy, um, surgery, antibiotics, general anesthetics. All of this is going to impact 
our gut health. And then women often have no help with their bloating. And as you just said, wind on top of that and poor digestion, and it can really impact them. So I'm glad you bring it up as a symptom because it's so reassuring to also know we can do something about it. Definitely. And there's there's a whole collection of um, like cells in, in, in the gut called the estrobolome. And they are specifically responsible for how we process our hormones, how we process estrogen. So what we want is for, for that estrobolome to be, to be nourished and to be able to do its job really well so that we are then breaking down anything that we don't need anymore as well and properly excreting it. And that comes from having the right levels of beneficial bacteria in the gut. So it's connected. And so how can we optimize this process? Because I'm thinking at home, people might think, okay, yeah, that is me. I've had lots of treatments. I'm now maybe on long-term medication. My bowels haven't been great. Um, how can I optimize this process of uh, maybe, you know, processing some of those hormones, but also, um, yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, diet is going to be the biggest everyday factor. And in, in general, I would just advise anyone to think about it's the, it's the things that you do every day that are going to make the biggest difference. You know, that yes, you can kind of go off and do a, a cleanse or a fast or whatever it might be. But if that's not your every day, like your body's constantly regenerating and changing. And what we, what we feed it and how we look after it every day will then be how we generally feel. So thinking about the, the nutrients or the dietary choices that, that we can make to nourish our gut, I would kind of put it into, into different um, categories. So you've got fiber, first of all. So we, we need about 30 grams of fiber at this phase of life. It's higher than we need when we were younger um, because it's really important that um, as we start to age, we don't um, add pressure to our pelvic floor, which is already getting weaker because of the, the, the lack of estrogen um, in our in, in our bodies and if you're constipated that weight is sitting right on top of your bladder right on top of your of your pelvic floor and that can then lead to um uh d discomfort um from a kind of bladder perspective so feeling like you need to go to the toilet all, all the time um it can also lead to prolapse um in our kind of pelvic organs so really getting that regularity of, as we were talking about at the beginning, of going to the toilet every day becomes even more important. And fiber is a really important part of that. And 30 grams of fiber is actually quite a lot. So you really do have to sort of sit down and think, right, okay, how much of that can I get in my breakfast, lunch and dinner or ho however you're eating to make sure that you're getting um, enough each day? And you only need to work that out once. And refresh my brain and refresh everyone's brain of, of, of all the foods um, that include good amounts of fiber. Yeah, great. So it's, it's vegetables, fruits and vegetables are going to be a great source as well as kind of grains. Um, so incorporating those. Um, also, chia seeds is a great one. So I love a smoothie in the morning and I always chuck a load of chia seeds in. Loads of benefits. Yes, they've got fiber. They're also a really good source of essential fats as well. So they're kind of nourishing nourishing the gut and re helping reduce um, any inflammation in, in there. Um, and then, you know, it, we, we've all heard the idea of eat 30 different um, plant-based foods a week. And I think it's a really good guide because it, it reminds you actually that's that's a lot and it is about diversity as well so eating like the same foods every day and the same meals every day is going to limit your diversity that, that's sort of really like an ob obvious connection for you to make and there are so many different plant-based foods out there that we can incorporate that make eating a joy and um, create kind of um different experiences every day diff different flavors different textures and and I know sometimes taste can change as well especially if you've been through treatment and being able to kind of try different foods might help kind of bring back that that love of eating and that love of, of taste as well and you might find actually you like something different to to what you've li liked in, in in the past um also um ground flax seeds is a great one. So every day in my smoothie, I've got ground flax seeds and I've got chai seeds, and that's already giving me a significant amount of um, my my daily fiber. And then on top of that, you then layer all your kind of green, um, your green vegetables. Um, there, I mean, there are different types of fiber. You've got soluble fiber and insoluble fiber, and we need both. 
So um, that kind of insoluble fiber, think of it as roughage. I feel like that's what everyone used to talk about. Like, I feel like my grandma would have said that you need some roughage in your, your diet and they'd have had, I don't know, bran flakes or something like that at, at the time. But it's the, um, it's the, the tougher, the tougher vegetables. So the stalks of the broccoli um, are, are amazing for you as well. So don't just eat the head, like eat, eat the whole thing. Um, dark green leafy vegetables. Um, don't don't shave off the skins when you're doing potatoes. Keep the skin on. Um, same with kind of butternut squash as well, because it's going to give you a bit more of that kind of roughage into into your your diet. Um, so fiber is that kind of first category that that's really important. Then you've got all your kind of um, pre and probiotic um, foods that then nourish the um, the, the microbiome. So. Uh, foods like natural yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, miso, um, anything that is fermented is going to help um, improve the fermentation in your gut. And with that fermentation, with our gut is then able to produce um, short-chain fatty acids, which then help with all sorts of other things in, in, in our body. So it's so important um, that we are stimulating that that cycle every day. But, you know, going back to what you said earlier and the importance is to keep um, focusing on what you can do every day. So it's the regularity that is important rather than sort of um, adding all these foods in isolation. And I was just away, like I said to you earlier before we pressed record, that I was away with some girlfriends in Greece. We had this amazing weekend. Of course, we talked lots about food. And out of the seven of us, many people don't like the fermented foods as such. You know, um, if we talk about kombucha, for example, I love kombucha. I love acidic and sour tastes. But if that's not your taste, you're more drawn to maybe buying a kombucha off the shelf that is actually full of sugar. So you might be better off not having it at all. Not everyone would want to have a couple of spoonfuls of sauerkraut a day or kimchi or cooking with tofu and tempeh. And so Although I think all of this advice is always so amazing is I wonder how many from the thousands and thousands of people listening to us, how many people actually manage to include those fermented foods on a regular basis. And and that's not to say, and especially for a lot of women who've maybe come out of chemotherapy, their taste buds have changed. I, like, I remember mine had changed for quite a long time after they'd sort of didn't sort of flop back and there is no way I could have stomached sauerkraut for quite some time without really that they're, they're triggering some you know not so pleasant feelings um but I get you and I hear you I just wanted to sort of throw it out there that I guess it's hard for people to do that on a regular basis but those are the probiotics aren't they the prebiotics are what so um, the, the, the prebiotics are then found in a substance called inulin, um, which feeds the, the, the good bacteria. We can get that from vegetable sources generally. So we're, we're finding all of these things in our everyday food. So if, if you eat that kind of that range of 30 different um, plant-based foods, it could be herbs, spices are included in that, as well as all your kind of vegetables and, and fruits, you'll be picking up prebiotics from all of those foods every day and so it's actually you're, you're doing it without even even realizing it but I also think that is probably where supplements do play a really important role so if somebody is recovering um, from chemotherapy or from any illness actually supplements can be super helpful in supercharging that particular nutrient as long as our gut's able to digest and break it down then it's going to be helpful and probiotics are, are one example of that, where if you, you know, if you just don't feel able to include all of those foods that I've just listed previously in your diet every day, then a probiotic could be a good way just to uh, make that change in, in your gut microbiome so that you don't experience that kind of bloating and discomfort and, anymore. Um, and then over time as well, as your taste buds then start to come back, then you might decide to also make those dietary changes on top. So there are lots of options out there for, for people to explore. See, I like the fact that you bring up supplements because we have so many contradicting messages and views and you get doctors and scientists saying uh, we haven't got much evidence that supplements work. Then you have a big cohort of people who are really worried about the contraindications and the safety of supplements. Then you and I have spoken before about uh, the regulation about supplements, like that can be a concern. Do we actually know uh, they're good? They're, um, they say 
um, they do what it says on the packet and 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 how do I know what to take like what supplements so there's a big confusion around supplements but I've you know from my own experience but also from speaking to hundreds of women they really play a really big role in someone who are so is surviving cancer because we sometimes feel regardless of what the advice out there is around supplements, whether they make sense to some scientists or doctors or not, we're emotional human beings and not every single one of our decisions is going to be just based on facts and evidence because we are triggered and we're 360 degrees around human beings, mm. right? And sometimes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've gone through phases of maybe recovering from antibiotics and I felt I wanted to support that with supplements, whether that was vitamin C or zinc or a probiotic in my case. And I know opinions will divide again. And um, But they had a real profound role in my own life. And sometimes I really felt I needed to support my liver I felt I really wanted to support my immune system and whether that might have just been a multivitamin. And even if people said there is, you know, it's not proven, I kind of felt it was a bit of a safety blanket. And and I know not everyone can work with a nutritionist because if you work with someone one-to-one, you can really figure out what supplements that person might need. And every single doctor I speak who works in integrative healthcare is a real fan, of course, of supplements because they can change, really change someone's well-being and symptoms. But when you're out there on your own going into Holland and Barrett's and looking on Amazon, it's really hard knowing what to do, isn't it? How do you feel about the whole supplement story? Hey, thank you for listening so far. This podcast has an amazing Facebook community full of inspiring women supporting each other and sharing their stories. Please come and be part of it. We'd love to have you in the group. Click the link in the show notes and come in now. Yeah, it's it's sort of tough to navigate. And I think think people can get quite hung up on on scientific evidence and and that and that counts for the supplement world as well as it does for the the drug world actually and you know people are very likely just to take a medication that a doctor's recommended without necessarily doing the research themselves but quite often some of those studies are not based on a huge amount of data or have been interpreted in a way that then gets discredited later da- down the line and there, there's always this debate of is it actually a placebo effect or is it a is, is it a real effect? And I think the same applies to to, to, to supplements. And I think the, the best experiment is to do it with yourself because our bodies are are quite unique. Yes, you know, we, we've got sort of it's, our, our biology is is the same, but actually the the dynamic inside our body and the the ecosystem inside our body is going to be different and it's going to be affected by our life and what's happened to us as well as our genetics as well. So it's really hard to say, right, this one supplement's gonna work for everybody because it won't. It won't just it just the the way that that kind of chemical reaction will work inside the body is going to is going to be quite different. When I see patients on a one to one, I will nearly always use supplements um, for a couple of reasons. One is because I think they're effective and you get results faster. And when you get results faster, you get compliance. People um, will kind of come to see a nutritionist. They're like, right, that's it. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And they come in with all that energy. And if it takes them six months to get a result, you'll lose people on that journey because the majority of people haven't got that level of motivation to go, right, I'm going to control my diet you know, to, to, to this degree. Um, and by adding in supplements, you get those results faster, which then creates the the motivation. And it might not be that you need to take them forever. It might just be kind of a period of time, right, that can then correct imbalances and can help with things like sleep. So, so many women um, through menopause will struggle with sleep. And if you're not sleeping, you then will have a whole series of other symptoms that are related to to that and actually if we can help fix the sleep which sometimes does I think come through um, supplementation you then can deal with everything else and maybe some of those other symptoms will actually go away so within a kind of consultation you're always trying to kind of unpeel the layers of what's going on because somebody's going to show up with all sorts of things on the list potentially and you're going okay well 
how do we separate all of these things out? And it is one kind of causal to to the other, or are they completely um, disconnected? And the kind of second part of your question of, of sort of how do you choose? So you go into a store, how do you know what what's good? And I think this this is the biggest challenge, right? Because all uh, all supplements are not equal, quality is not equal, um, the rigor and quality of ingredients that goes into into each product is absolutely not equal. So just doing a little bit of research to look at, okay, who's manufacturing this? Um, who's behind who's behind this product? And where where are they sourcing their product from as well? Can be kind of good good questions to 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 ask. I you know, I don't want to say steer away from the own brands because some of them are, are good, but if it's really cheap, you just go ask yourself why. Like why is this product like so so low cost in comparison to others? Um, and there are there are actually some vitamins and minerals that are very cheap to produce, so that that's not a kind of rule for everything. But just looking at it, going okay, help me make a kind of sensible decision in here. Which, which product has got um, kind of the best um, backing behind it? How do I know that it's going to be effective? Um, and taking taking advice wherever you can from kind of practitioners or professionals as well that are recommending those brands, even if you're not going to see them. You might still be able to access the the products that a practitioner could prescribe, and you know they're going to then be of higher quality as well. Yeah, and and that just reminds me of a survey I did in our Facebook group um, quite a while ago. I think it was in the summer when I said to people, um, "How many of you um, take a probiotic?" And for those that take a probiotic, why do you choose a probiotic? Is it a probiotic over food conversation? But actually, over 30, 30%, I think, of people said they would want more information to make an informed decision. They weren't quite sure what they would do. Uh, and, and quite a lot of people said, I'd prefer those um, good bacteria from my food, which is amazing. But I think a lot of people kind of didn't have enough information to make an informed decision. And I think that sums up where I was for so many years as well. And and I remember now the reason why I got that question out into the Facebook communities, there was a podcast um, on the Zoe podcast, which I know a lot of our listeners listen to, the Zoe Nutrition podcast with, um, I think it was a personal story of one of the With medical- Andrew, I think it was. Yeah, directors yes. and and him taking antibiotics. And he had the advice of two of the top, the world's top gut health experts. And one suggested to give a probiotic after his antibiotic use and the other said no. And I think for me, that was such a beautiful conversation, really, because it just showed you can get two of the top experts in the world giving you different advice. And I, I think neither thought the other one was wrong. There are just different approaches to doing things. When I think back of 10 years navigating post-active cancer treatment life, a lot of times when I chose to take a supplement, a herbal medication, a vitamin, anything like that, I felt empowered. Whether I've made the right decision, Joe, or not, I have no idea. I might have wasted my money, maybe, but I felt actively taking part in my recovery and in my well-being and for that alone the money was worth and well spent I believe and so it's more an emotional answer I think um yeah but I'm so and if I'm so yeah tell me I was just going to say if if you feel better taking it then I per like my personal feeling if when I take supplements that's all the evidence I need I, I don't need a big study behind it to say that this is going to be effective for you know, 90 people in 100. And um, if I feel better and I uh, and my health is better, then that is that is going to be good enough. And I think in, in the kind of podcast you're referring to, he was in a he was in a kind of very priv- privileged position, like A, to oh, have yeah. two, two of the top kind of experts as well, but also to be able to do all of that testing. Of and not course, everybody yeah. wants to do to do that either, right? And ch- chances are whether you've had chemotherapy or any any type of illness um, in your in your younger years or not, by the time you're in your 40s, your microbiome is probably not going to be as optimal as as it could be, unless you are following the absolute best diet in the world, absolutely no no sugar. You're really kind of consuming all of those kind of foods that we've been talking about um, for the, for the last half an hour or so. Um, e- even then, you know your gut might not be perfect, right? So um, putting a probiotic in 
is, I think you described it before, is a, is a bit of a safety net to say, okay, well, I know that this type of bacteria is going to be beneficial to me. It's going to create the right environment for my, my gut to feel really, really healthy. Mm. So, Joe. <laughs> I'm really, I love a female founder story. I love when women just go and do things. I think it's amazing what you've done. You've then decided to launch a probiotic product. Why did you feel the world needed another probiotic? Like there are enough on the market. Or did you feel I wanted to just come up with a product that was really safe, really sound, and you could help more people with it? Like, I think it's fascinating. Um, Talk me through that. I, I think it links to your kind of previous question of, right, well, when I walk in Holland and Barra, how do I know what to choose? And actually, um, I mean, d- d- do it. Go, go into a go into your local health food store. You know, if, if it's a Holland and Barra, fine. If it's a, a, you know, independent, great. Go in and look for the probiotic that's been designed for menopause. And you're not going to come up with much, if anything. And that, that's a real challenge because of some things that I've sort of mentioned already. And your, your gut is going to be in a really different state by the time you hit menopause. Your hormones are affecting your gut microbiome and, and vice versa. So why would you not take something that's been specifically designed for that phase of life? And it just, it just didn't exist. Like you would be giving, like, e- even if the product says on it, uh, probiotic for women, pick up the one next to it that just says probiotic for anyone chances are the ingredients are pretty similar mm. which then it's just marketing and just labels it's not actually the product inside it so in when we were creating our product really being able to work with bacteria strains that had some of that scientific evidence that we spoke about as being important to to, to many people and um, uh, for efficacy in midlife efficacy against the, the symptoms that you really don't want to be experiencing and there really aren't any other products out there like it. And that's why we started with it. Um, and uh, as I've said already, like if you can if you can improve your gut, anything else you then do on top of it is going to be effective, much more effective. Mm. I just, you know what, I would love to be in people's homes now or they're out walking and listening to our conversation. And I want to know what they did. I want to know how many people uh, use supplements or probiotics or anything like that to sort of support. I mean, I was one of the first ones in the UK to then be offered the Zoe test kit as a sort of guinea pig when they first brought the testing into the UK from America. And I was really worried. You know, my diet had been really good at that point. And, but I was really worried of what they're going to find. I wasn't so interested in the sort of glucose thing. I really was wanted to know about my gut. I had, you know, a, a, a spout of antibiotics every single year for my lymphedema, like I mentioned earlier. And, um, and I did take probiotics, but more gung-ho, like sometimes during antibiotic use, sometimes a month later, sometimes straight after, you know, always a bit different sort of gut, gut-led in a way. Um, and I have excellent gut health and I was very, very pleased. And I want to share that with everyone. I had the right mixture of all the good, but also the bad bacteria. Like it was really, really up there. And I want to share that with everyone because I want people to know it's possible that you can get back to really good gut health, even if you've been through lots of treatment and surgeries and and, and loads of things. And even if you don't get it tested, um, by perhaps eating like he suggested, perhaps adding um, all of the lovely fermented foods, maybe probiotics or not, like that's everyone's personal decision. It is possible to regain that gut health. And I wanted to share that hope with people because sometimes we feel like, gosh, is there anything I'd be able to do? Like my gut had so much bashing. I People feel a bit hopeless. And I, so I really wanted to share that sort of, it is absolutely possible. possible. Yeah. And can, I ask, can I ask a question actually ab- yeah. about that? So when when you then did did that testing, um, would you if you then think about what your bowels were like at, at the time and some of those kind of signs and symptoms that we that we talked about at the beginning, like were you going to the toilet every day? What what sort of things would you see on the outside? Yeah, if you and I think my whole journey of looking at my gut health has been now at least eight years, so it's a long right. time of really focusing on that and sometimes taking my eye off the ball and not worrying so much about it, but then always sort of coming back to it. And so I think it's been the process of many years rather than a few months of trying to improve my gut health. Um, But it's definitely 
the bowel movements. And for me, it's also the clarity in how I wake up in the morning, whether you call it brain fog or you call it sluggishness or you just call it that sort of not being very fresh behind the eyes. Uh, I do feel like when my gut health maybe or my bowels work better, I wake up fresher. But that is obviously, you know, I could be making this up, but I kind of like feel a little bit like that, but that's totally a feeling. I think I think it may it makes sense, right? So if, if you're getting rid of what you don't need every day, then you're not carrying around toxins. And if you're not carrying around toxins, then you are gonna feel it's like putting the rubbish out when the when the bin men come. Getting getting rid of that every day, you know, your house is cleaner, you haven't got the smell of the bins. And it's a bit like that, I think, in, inside your body. If you can put the bins out every day, um <laughs> you're go, you're going to feel a bit fresher. And I always thought if I was I don't know, a flower pot or whatever, a plant in, in a garden. If I feed it with really dirty, mucky water, I might not thrive. I'll probably survive, but I, I might not thrive or something might go wrong with me. And so I kind of see like the foods and looking after my gut a bit like, I don't know, watering this really quite important, precious plant I have in my house that you don't want, that you really want to sort of nurture. And And it's a bit like that. And I kind of like also think, well, if I have a whole summer where I, don't pay that much attention and I have more cake and crisps and whatever it is that people take. It's also okay because I know I can come back to my routine quite quickly. Yeah, um, exactly. You spoke about um, fiber. You spoke about hydration, uh, the choice of supplements. Is there anything else that we need to do or can do to improve our gut health? Or have we covered everything, do you think? I think I think we've covered kind of the the key, um, yeah, the the key strategies. But I would also sort of touch on blood sugar and the relationship that has with with, with gut health because um, within menopause, however we we've got there, um, our um, the the way our body metabolizes sugar does change. And actually, I think anyone that's been doing that, the the Zoe testing as well, will will know that because they'll be seeing it firsthand. We become a lot more sort of sensitized to to sugar and insulin, and we can end up in a situation where um, our body is becoming insulin um, resistant. So it's not it's not hearing the signals anymore to say, "Hey, take the sugar and put it in the cells," and we can then end up with very high blood sugar levels. And that is also connected to our our gut health. So if we have really good levels of um, beneficial bacteria, we're then producing the right levels of short-chain fatty acids, a particular one called butyrate, which is, has a link as well to uh, our blood sugar balance. We are then going to be better able to metabolize sugar. And if we can control the way our body's metabolizing sugar, it has so many health benefits. Um, and this is why many women in menopause will, will change their diets and will think about things like fasting or not snacking because you really want to keep your blood sugar at much kind of more consistent level you don't want these spikes when we get spikes we then can also trigger um kind of a stress response as well in the body so more cortisol we, we don't want that unless we need it like our stress hormones are there to protect us and to help us get through difficult circumstances we're not supposed to be producing it every day just to kind of get get through the day and if you can control the way that your body metabolizes sugar, the way that your body uses um, stress hormones, it's going to have such a positive effect on on our overall health. So don't just think about it being about kind of probiotics and, and good bacteria. It's, it's really also about our, our diet overall, the way that we're eating and the, the types of food that we're pushing in so that we're keeping our blood sugar balanced. So good fats are really important. Like so many, so many women of... Um, Certainly, kind of my 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 age, or um, I'm sorry, percent older. I'm actually I'm 43. Will have been through years of maybe yo-yo dieting, just hearing all the time um, lots of different diets as we've kind of grown up. And fat was the enemy for so long, and fat's really not the enemy. Fat is an amazing part of our diet that reduces inflammation, that nourishes our brain, and we want to keep our brain nourished as, as we get older. Also, it really helps kind of soothe everything in the body and helps with hormone production and, and creation. So fish, nuts, seeds, avocados, 
these are all foods that you really should be, if you can, incorporating into into your diet um, every day or every few days as much as possible. Um, and that play an important role alongside protein. So making sure that you're having a good source of protein with every meal really keeps your blood sugar balanced and then you won't be setting off these kind of insulin problems um, later on. So that's the kind of other big area that I would I would really recommend thinking about and focusing on. And I really love this conversation because it's so all-encompassing and we are these very, really complex human beings, isn't it? And I think what happens at the moment and especially maybe for anyone who is on social media, it's very compartmentalized, isn't it? You get people doing incredibly well and all they focus on is stabilizing blood sugar levels. But that's just the one picture to our incredible health and being, isn't it? And we can't just focus on stabilizing our blood sugars because then I'll have, I don't know, uh, chips and fried eggs every morning over maybe fruit and yogurt, you know, because that might... And so I think it's so important to really think... You can't just eat for one thing. When we eat, we eat for the whole body, the mind, the soul, the taste buds, the connections, socializing. Um, but a lot, as I hear and learn from you, comes back to the importance that gut health plays on many other things, like our blood sugar levels, like our hormones or how we metabolize these. Can I come back to your first, you mentioned it at the very beginning of the conversation, inflammation. Um, what does inflammation in the gut mean? And does it affect your health or is this an isolated thing in your gut? Because I hear it all the time, but I don't know quite how. Yeah, if there's inflammation in the gut, there's probably inflammation in, in the body. And inflammation is is an important part of the way our body works because it creates healing. So when, you know, when we, you know, to take a really simple example, if we kind of cut our finger um, we will get then a rush of inflammation in that area because it then brings the blood flow and, and all of the healing that we need in order to, to get, rid of, get rid of that cut. If we have um, a more serious illness, then there's going to be a lot of inflammation potentially in, in the body um, to enable us to, to heal and to, and, and to get better. But when inflammation is there on a, a, a long-term basis, it really starts to affect how our body can absorb and digest and break down nutrients, which can then have a knock-on effect to all sorts of other things. So if um, if we have high inflammation in, in the gut, that may then affect the way that we're able to absorb an essential mineral like calcium or vitamin K2, which are really important for the way our bones are um, maintained and, and, and built, which becomes a really kind of key factor actually for, for when you're getting older as well or when you're in menopause and um, around how do I protect my bone health in the future. So in, especially if you're if you're not able to take any hormone replacement, thinking about what you can do from a diet point of view becomes, I would think, a really important question and, and, and factor. So ensuring that we haven't got those high levels of inflammation will help ensure that we're then absorbing um, the vitamins and minerals that, that we need and it will play a protective role in, in our bone health, as do certain gut bacteria as well they, they do play an important um, role in that in the way that our bones are um, formed and, and maintained I love this connection of gut health and bone health because so many women in our community are not on any hormone replacement therapy and many have been pushed into menopause really early so our worry about our long-term bone health and heart health is totally there and we should worry about it because we need to worry about it so we can do something about it to prevent something going wrong with our bones but all of the conversations I've had so far they were about strength training um, resistance training walking yes diet calcium um, all these other things there are medication of course um, to support and prevent osteoporosis osteopenia but the role of the gut health connected to bones isn't something that I was so aware of. And I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's it, it's not, again, it's not just one thing. I think doing that in combination with um, the, the weight training or resistance training is, is really important because together yeah. they're going to give you the best possible chance of having strong bones for as long as we can. And you know, it's also remembering that, that this is supposed to happen to us. Right, we we were designed to lose estrogen at um at some point in in our life. When it happens earlier, 
that's when it is more challenging and we have to think about okay how what can i do to to counteract that and how can i um how can i make a change to my diet or my lifestyle that's going to be protective to my bones to my heart to my brain i think probably the three the three big things that everyone would be concerned about but the body is designed to adapt to not having high levels of estrogen and Thank other other that. hormones then kick in yeah no i do i do think it's so lovely to hear that because we are stronger than we think we we know that and it isn't the end of the world if someone can't have hormone replacement therapy we must look for all the other things we can do um to support our bones and heart health and brain health and it does not mean we will all get osteoporosis osteopenia we can have really strong bones to eat to reduce our inflammation is it kind of like the same way to improve our gut health or is that a different way if i if anyone is listening thinking oh i'm worried i might have too much inflammation is it a similar way of eating like you've suggested and discussed or is it a different approach yeah i mean it, it all comes down to if if you can if you can nourish the gut and um, and feed the good bacteria and have good levels of fiber um in your in your diet you're going to have a uh, i think a lower level of inflammation in in general and you you will know if your body is feeling really inflamed like do do you um feel achy in your joints is your energy low is your immunity low as well because we haven't even talked about that today actually but the role gut health plays in immunity is absolutely huge um and if you're you know if you're just picking up um, colds and flus and covid and all of those kind of things all, all the time that was actually another kind of one of my weird symptoms of having kind of gone through my life of not really having ever time off work for, for being kind of sick from those sort of little things. Suddenly I was getting like COVID every three months it felt like and it just felt really, it felt really strange. I was like, why has my body changed in this way? Why am I not able to um, have that same level of immunity I, I used to have? And I can really only put it down to the change in the hormones and and the role that potentially progesterone or estrogen was playing in my in my body at, at, at the time. Mm. I hope everyone listening at home feels really empowered to do what they want to do rather than what um, we hear and and really take that approach of thinking, I'm going to do what feels right for me now. Because right now, people listening to this might think, actually, my diet is great. I'm doing lots of the things that Joe suggests and some of the other experts we had on the show suggested. And, and then you might go through a phase where work is really busy or people are returning to work after their active cancer treatment. And suddenly they're managing their symptoms of uh, menopause, their symptoms of managing all of their hormones, their symptoms of, I don't know, having the kids and everything at home. And they think, actually, this is not the time where I plow all of my energy into eating really well. And maybe this is the time where supplements play a role. And at one point, I always felt enough is enough. I'm back to my food. Um, I don't feel I need my vitamin C now. I'll have my orange juice or, or lemon water or whatever it is. And we don't always have to do everything forever. I think it's great to sort of adapt as well. Exactly, exactly. And I think you're the, you're the best judge for how you're feeling. And you know whether you are in in menopause due to um, uh, due to cancer or due to, to medical intervention or just through kind of natural stage of life, the the lack of available knowledge and support is going it affects so many women, and the advice that they may or may not be lucky enough to get when they go and see yes. the doctor is is a little bit of a, a a lottery. And if you don't feel the way you want to feel then you're the best judge of that. And there are so many tools available to you, whether it's diet or lifestyle or supplements or, you know, there, there are probably many other things as well. You use it as a toolkit and and experiment. Um, and anything that you're doing in that kind of diet and lifestyle category is unlikely to cause harm. And that's probably the first thing to sort of think about. Am I doing anything that is going to cause me any damage? And if it's about Using using food or food supplements or, or exercise, um, you're generally going to be in safe hands, and and you and you can decide how you feel. And it actually brings me to my last question, and that is: Are probiotics safe? 
out of all of the supplements there are and all of the worries and all of the contraindications um, to phytoestrogens, to whatever people think about lots of different supplements, we worry about them interfering with drugs like tamoxifen, aromatase inhibitors. I personally haven't heard from many oncologists that say don't take a probiotic unless there are certain cancers involved. But tell me from all the research, because I've just been on your website earlier and you've got so many research studies linked to the benefits. I really like that sort of everyone can look at the studies and read them for themselves and make their own mind up. But are they safe for the general population? Yeah, I think for, for, for the general population, there are very few reasons why somebody can't take probiotics. And they are very specific. And if if you're in that if you're in that situation, your doctor will have told you that as well. So as you've mentioned, there might be specific types of, of bowel cancer where the oncologist will say, actually, don't take probiotics at the moment, potentially after treatment, but but not at the moment. Um, if somebody's got a very compromised immune system, um, again, you you might want to avoid taking anything else actually at that point, let, let alone um, probiotics. Um, but in general, I can't find any evidence, and I do I do keep looking to see whether or not um, it would have any contraindication for somebody taking tamoxifen. Um, and, and it only seems to be positive evidence I could find that actually potentially it could be beneficial um, to to take the two together. There's certainly no reason to think there's harm or um, a problem there, but actually it could even help. Yeah, thank you, Joe. And as always, people hopefully are going to have these conversations with their doctors. I don't say that sort of as a safety blanket because I personally often thought, oh, I have so many other things to ask my oncologist. I'm not going to ask if I can take, I don't know, a zinc supplement. But actually thinking back now, I think they're really helpful conversations because it shows our doctors what we worry about, what we want to do, that we want to think outside the box, that we want to be the empowered patient who looks at improving their well-being and health. And our doctors need to know. And the more they know, the more they know sort of what goes on in our thinking, the more they can support us with our choices that we make at home. So do have the conversation, um, I think. Joe, thank you. It's been reassuring and positive to talk to you. And I really feel like you get me as a 360 sort of degree human being that is emotional and looks at evidence and wants to sort of try to just do their best. I hope people at home feel as positive as I do. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me. And I hope there's been just a couple of nuggets in there that might be useful to, to your listeners as well. Yeah. And I also, I can't wait to join you um, in November because we've decided for me to give you much more feedback about the menopause and cancer community for your amazing brand and your um, probiotics, because I really feel I want to inform lots of industry leaders like yourself out there about what we go through. So thank you for listening to me as well, because I know I've been talking at you for hours about our community and the needs of our community and the lack of information. So thank you for you know providing that for us as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's so apparent to me that um, there are so many different experiences of, of, of menopause and, and reasons for being in, in menopause and um, groups that feel that they're not currently being um, heard or addressed are all groups that we really want to find the best way to, to represent and actually understand. Um, and there's a, you know, a, alongside the, the menopause and, and cancer community, there's also the early menopause community. And that's can be incredibly isolating if you're um, also young and you're experiencing the symptoms that you would generally associate with an older lady and you know just don't have anyone to talk to about it if if we can do something to connect that community to inform that community it's absolutely a core part of what better menopause is, is all about because it is about a better menopause for everybody not just women that are experiencing it naturally at midlife Thank you, Joe. Um, can't wait to see what comes next for you. And I hope you come back onto the podcast. So much to talk about. Maybe immune system <laughs> is our next conversation. I feel like we've just yeah, opened we'll the whole box mm. there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much, Danny. I hope this conversation with Joe has been helpful and it allows you to make 
a more informed decision about what you want to do. For me, I always think it doesn't really matter what people do as long as they have all of the information and they can choose and also change their mind. Like myself navigating menopause after cancer for all these years now, I don't always do the same. I go through phases of having loads of sauerkraut and kimchi and fermented foods. And then I go through phases where I just feel I need more of a safety blanket and that's okay. I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm allowed to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I feel that gives me agency as a patient because I go with what I need then. You know, in yoga, I often say, when you ask yourself compassion, self-compassion will always ask you, what do you need? But we need to ask ourselves that on a regular basis. Just what I needed last week might not be something I need today. And so I hope this conversation has been helpful and you can ask yourself, what do I need right now? Am I eating lots of these lovely foods that Joe and so many other scientists and um, people mention in my daily diet? All of these lovely probiotic, prebiotics foods, plenty of fiber, or have you maybe not got the capacity, the energy, the focus at the moment to include all of those foods every single day into your diet? And then maybe you want to consider a probiotic supplement. It's really such a personal decision and I've really done a little bit of this and a little bit of that over the last many years. Maybe you don't need to make a decision at all and that's perfect and you can park it and you can revisit another time. I'm going to go out for my walk now. I hope you can join us for the walking challenge. Put your walking shoes on. If you haven't heard about our walking challenge, now I'm going to put the link into the show notes for you today. We're all going to get out there together as a community. We want to walk through the seasons, come rain or shine. And I think the loveliest, loveliest thing is that so many of you are connecting across the country, going for training walks together. It's really windy when I look out of my studio windows today, but I can't wait to just get out there, put one foot in front of the other and just sort of mull over the conversation I've had with Joe today. <laughs>